Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 22 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Please listen to Season 6, Episode 21 for Part 1 of this two-part case. This episode contains distressing themes explicit language and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. July 18th, 2020, Bernadette Walker disappeared. Her parents initially claimed that she ran away from home following an argument. But as the search to find the missing student intensified, not everything was as it seemed, and soon a terrifying possibility considered unimaginable became a frightening reality. Bernadette was reported missing by her parents back on July the 21st when it was said she hadn't been seen for three days. The search continued for weeks involving dogs, teams of divers and also by flying drones. When police looked in a lock-up garage in Peterborough owned by Scott Walker's parents, they found the teenager's rucksack and her diary. Bernadette's parents were in possession of her mobile phone. And while sending messages pretending to be Bernadette, they made late-night trips to a lock-up garage and visits to secluded fields of a neighbouring county. 
Scott and Sarah Walker stood before Cambridge Crown Court, each charged with perverting the course of justice. Scott Walker was accused of murder. During the first week of Bernadette's disappearance, Sarah Walker used her mobile phone to search Google. Some of the search terms included how to track a mobile phone, how to track a mobile phone's location, my daughter is missing, and I think my partner knows where my missing child is. That last search was entered multiple times. Before the Google searches were undertaken, Scott Walker had called Sarah. The location of his phone indicated that he was close to an area around a lock-up garage on Montague Road, owned by his parents. Sarah Walker's interest in how exactly a text message can be traced was highlighted when she used the internet search engine to find answers to the following. Can police trace a text message? Can police trace a text to a location? Finding where a text is sent from? And why haven't the police found my child? As the days passed and Bernadette was nowhere to be found, Sarah also sent a text message to her then-partner Christopher O'Connell. She expressed her doubts about what Scott Walker was telling her whatever that may have been. She wrote, I'm not 100% convinced about his story. Sarah Walker had a text message exchange with a friend in which she discussed Scott Walker's conflicting emotional state. He seemed to be upset one minute and fine the next. I still think there is something dodgy about the way he is behaving, she wrote. I ain't falling for a few fake tears. Sarah Walker did appear to make some effort to find her daughter aside from sharing appeal posters. She heard about a possible sighting of Bernadette at a local YMCA. Although she contacted the business, she was told they could neither reveal the names of anyone staying there nor confirm the descriptions of guests due to confidentiality agreements. While messages were sent through Bernadette's phone after July 18, 2020, implying that she was staying with her ex-boyfriend, when police tracked him down, he said he had not seen Bernadette since March before the country went into lockdown. Lucas Siorsian told the court that he had continually called Bernadette's mobile phone after learning that she had vanished, but received no response. The phone appeared to be switched off as he only ever got an answering service. Siorsian testified that he briefly dated Bernadette and could always remember her actively using her phone. 
It seemed out of character for her to discard the device if she had intentionally gone missing. After she was dropped off on July 17th, Bernadette stayed with her grandparents, Julie and Bill Walker. While not related by blood, as Scott Walker was not Bernadette's biological father, it was common for Julie and Bill to be described this way. Julie was married to Bill Walker, but was not Scott Walker's mother. Julie Walker offered evidence at Cambridge Crown Court, recounting how Bernadette was upset, but she did not say why. The teenager did not want to talk about it. Julie knew why, as she had been told earlier by Bernadette's mother, although Sarah told Julie Walker that she did not believe what Bernadette was saying. The 17-year-old was distraught and said all she wanted was her mother to believe her. Over and over again, Bernadette kept saying, I'm not lying. Julie Walker tried to gently coax some information out of the teenager about why she was upset. It appeared Bernadette could not bring herself to say it out loud. Based on Julie Walker's recollection of that night, Bernadette did not have her phone. However, she did bring her rucksack, which contained items that she would need for an overnight stay. Bernadette slept on the sofa, and the next day dressed in the same clothes she had worn the day before. Julie and her partner Bill would subsequently hear that Bernadette had run off on July 18th after Bill's son had picked her up. Scott Walker told them that Bernadette jumped out of the car and disappeared. Walker had visited multiple lock-up garages, all of which were owned by his parents. They had been used for storage and gardening in the past. The area to one garage required access through a gate. The spot was overlooked by several residents who could potentially see what was going on. Scott Walker made no mention of ever visiting the lockups after Bernadette disappeared. The waters would become even muddier for the defence when the jury heard from Christopher O'Connell, Sarah Walker's partner when Bernadette went missing. O'Connell became involved with Sarah following the apparent separation from Scott Walker. He had met Sarah Walker when she was one of his pupils. She had decided to complete a mathematics adult education course in 2018. It was not until 2019 that a relationship developed. Scott Walker was distraught and complained to the teaching governing body. No action was taken as Christopher O'Connell had done nothing wrong. There was no evidence of inappropriate activity as they became involved after the course had finished. 
on the occasions when Sarah Walker went to stay with Christopher O'Connell. She would receive text messages telling her that O'Connell's back garden was unsecure. The gate had not been locked. O'Connell could often hear Scott Walker outside the address, loudly revving the engine of his motorbike. Despite the uncomfortable nature of the situation, O'Connell was never confronted personally by Scott Walker. All of the contact was made through Sarah Walker or from a distance. O'Connell's relationship with Sarah was complicated. He was told that a court order had been obtained by Scott Walker, so he could not be forced to leave the home he shared with Sarah Walker and her nine children on Century Square in Millfield. O'Connell was told this several times, but he would subsequently learn this was a lie. The prosecution claimed that the defendants had used Bernadette's mobile phone after she vanished. Based on cell tower analysis, it was in the presence of their mobile phones when it was used after Bernadette disappeared. Text messages were sent to Christopher O'Connell from who he at first believed to be Bernadette, although some of the language used in the electronic correspondence seemed unlike her. O'Connell confronted his partner, asking if it really was Bernadette. He would eventually learn it was not. Some of Bernadette's friends saw a post on social media authored by the teenager. She mentioned that she had been sexually abused by Scott Walker. The post remained active for only a short period, before it was mysteriously deleted, almost as if someone had removed it that was not Bernadette. Bernadette had never shared anything like that before. A few days later, Bernadette's friends received messages to indicate that she had lied about the abuse. But these messages sent through Instagram on July 19th, the day after she was last seen by her grandparents, were not sent by Bernadette. One of her friends, Warren Naylor, spoke with Bernadette often, mostly corresponding online, predominantly through social media. Naylor was someone who had supported Bernadette when she told him about the abuse, and he was the one to suggest speaking to her mother. The messages sent to Naylor through Bernadette's account on July 19th were authored by her mother, a fact that was not hidden. Sarah Walker told Warren Naylor that her daughter had made up the accusations. Walker corresponded with several of Bernadette's friends and in one exchange wrote, The lies she told are massive, so I can see why she can't face coming home. I wasn't going to say anything, but so much of what she said contradicts. Warren Naylor was informed that Bernadette was staying with her grandparents, but as calls to his friend went unanswered, Naylor contacted Sarah Walker directly through Facebook. As Naylor was being told that Bernadette had lied, 
he felt upset, not questioning what he was being told by an adult, someone he felt was more responsible and knew more about the situation. Naylor was the one who was told by Sarah Walker, Thanks for messaging me. I really advise you block her. You don't need that drama. Warren Naylor received one final message exchange from Bernadette's account which initially seemed to indicate it was from her. It was sent in the early afternoon of July 20th, two days after she went missing. Naylor told Bernadette to go home. The exchange ended when Naylor received a message that read, Stop messaging people about me or I'll throw my phone. And people asking me bare questions. Warren Naylor continued to call Bernadette but received no reply. As time went by and he pondered on the final exchange, Naylor was surprised by the tone and wording of these messages. Bernadette, whom he affectionately called Bernie, had never used the word bear before. It was said to mean lots. And Bernadette had never been so blunt. She was always kind and pleasant. Bernadette's friend was confident that the messages were sent by Sarah Walker. The prosecution's case moved from witness testimony to evidence from those involved in the search to find the missing 17-year-old. After Sarah Walker had contacted police to tell them that her daughter was missing, PC Elizabeth Aspland went to her home on Century Square in Millfield. As PC Aspland searched Bernadette's room, she noticed that Scott Walker was hovering over her. The officer continued in her duty and realised that Walker was crying. He was upset about the fact that Sarah Walker was in a relationship with someone else. Walker mentioned that he had little to offer, with Christopher O'Connell able to provide more to Sarah Walker financially. Walker did not seem like he wanted to discuss the allegations that Bernadette had made only saying that Bernadette would be embarrassed because what she was saying was false. Visits to the other homes connected to the defendants were also made. This included the properties owned by Scott Walker's parents and Sarah Walker's partner, Christopher O'Connell. It was there where the police were provided with electronic correspondence from the defendants and Bernadette's mobile phone. By September 9th, 2020, officers felt it was important to question Bernadette's parents separately to ensure their stories were consistent. Along with PC Williams, PC Elizabeth Aspland had returned to the address in part because the officers had left behind a notebook. They had been informed about the forgotten item by Sarah Walker. Surprisingly, she admitted that Scott Walker had been taking photos of it. When officers arrived at Century Square, Sarah Walker was not home, so they interviewed Scott Walker. 
he provided his account of what happened. According to Walker, after he picked up Bernadette, she did not want a McDonald's breakfast. She would not talk about the allegation she had made before running away down an alley. Investigators still were not sure where Bernadette's mobile phone was. Scott Walker was asked if he had the electronic device. He said he didn't, but said it was possible Bernadette could have it on her person, either in her pocket or tucked inside her bra. During the visit, Walker was asked by PC Aspland if they could see his mobile phone. He at first dismissed the request before walking away from the officers. When he was followed, PC Aspland realised that Walker was deleting items from the device. This was clear when the phone was handed over. The screen was on the deleted items section. Walker openly admitted that there were things on the device that he did not want people to see. When the phone was examined, no pictures were found of the notebook that had been left behind by officers. And strangely, it did not appear as though Walker had deleted the images, if any were taken. During PC Asplund's testimony, she was questioned about Scott Walker's appearance and behaviour shortly before his arrest. The officer said, He was very run down. I would describe him as a man on the edge. He seemed as though he was at breaking point. When officers arrived at Century Square during September 2020 and informed Sarah Walker that the investigation was changing from a missing persons inquiry to a murder inquiry, she continually said, It can't be true. It can't be true. Before she ran to the bathroom to be sick. Sarah Walker was interviewed about what she knew. She described contacting Scott Walker on the morning of July 18th when he was meant to have picked up Bernadette. His mobile phone appeared to be switched off for some time before he finally picked up. And he said, she got out of the car and ran off. Because I said, well, why is your phone off? He went, it, it's dead. And he says, I, I left it, it dropped into the footwell of the car when they got out. And I went, he got out. He went, she ran off. He's the pulled over for a cig. It's just to roll the cigarette because his, his window's broke on that side and he doesn't smoke in the car anyway. Um, he's pulled over to have a cigarette and she got out and she just she just ran off. Anything about her or her? Well, no, because at the time I said, well, what have, you, what have you said to her? That was the first thing I said, what yeah. he said. And he went, oh, nothing. And then when he's got back, he sort of re-run through what he told me on the phone. And I was like, all right, okay, well, let's give her a couple of hours to see if she messages. Mm-hmm. And of course she did. So that was, that sort of set my mind at ease straight away. What time did she message? Um... When asked how Walker was acting, Sarah Walker told officers. He was drained and tired and upset about the whole situation 
and he was crying, and he was scared. I can't even imagine how it must feel to have an accusation like that against you, even though she's then said it's not true, but then to disappear doesn't exactly look good. Um, I'm stupid. I actually went to delete something off my phone. I was half asleep yesterday. I think it was yesterday. And I went like that and I deleted my whole freaking message thread. And it's really... Deleted your message thread between you and B. And I've actually got it because there's on there, she tells me she loves me and things like that. Bernadette's mother had several subsequent interviews over the rest of the year. Officers slowly managed to coax information out of her when she confessed to sending messages from Bernadette's phone and deleting messages which accused Scott Walker of abuse. Sarah Walker said, He was terrified of going to prison. He was telling me that he was innocent, that he didn't touch her, and I kind of, like, believed him at the time. It was then Sarah Walker tearfully claimed that her ex-partner was abusive and he had threatened her physically, even attacking the children. That may very well have been true, but officers asked Bernadette's mother why she had lied and hidden information from the police. She said she was scared that her children were going to be placed into care. She felt trapped. Walker said she had been brainwashed by her ex-partner, but she was sure that Bernadette had just run away. Counsels for both defendants were of the firm belief that Bernadette Walker was still alive and had somehow managed to go unnoticed, avoiding a network of closed-circuit television cameras, using a burner phone, maybe even smuggling herself out of the country. Detective Constable Kelly Adams, who was involved in the investigation, was cross-examined by junior defence counsel Mitchell Cohen, who was acting on behalf of Scott Walker. Cohen pointed out that around 1,200 children go missing a year, so it was not outside the realms of possibility that Bernadette could have disappeared without a trace. The defence counsel poked holes in the investigation, as the officer on the stand admitted that not every avenue of inquiry had been examined. In some instances, only local shelters or mental health teams had been contacted and areas of the country with large homeless populations had not been explored. The defence claimed it was possible that Bernadette could be getting paid through cash-in-hand jobs and could have easily set up a brand new social media profile under any name she liked. There was no requirement to present identification, only a mobile phone number which could be easily obtained unrecorded. That said, the authorities did investigate potential sightings of Bernadette, 22 in all, some as far afield as Birmingham, Great Yarmouth, Kent and Wiltshire. Every report was chased up, and in every instance it could be confirmed it was not Bernadette. 
Police dogs had been used to search the local fields and ditches of isolated farmland. Divers had scoured the waterways, and even drones and sonar equipment was employed across the potential locations where Bernadette's body could have been buried. But nothing. No sightings were made via CCTV cameras after July 18th. There was also no blood or forensic material found in the lockup garages Scott Walker had access to. No evidence Bernadette had come to harm in these locations. Linguistics experts reviewed all of Bernadette's electronic correspondence. While there were no clues regarding a planned disappearance, it was confirmed that the messages sent after she vanished were more in keeping with the texting style of Scott and Sarah Walker. The argument between the prosecution and defence was evident. On the one hand, the jury needed to decide if Bernadette had been murdered and her body was concealed, or if she had run away from home and this was why her body had never been discovered. Sarah Walker did not take the stand, so she could not be questioned by barristers who were keen to learn what exactly she knew and what she did not. Sarah Walker would reveal when questioned by police that Bernadette had claimed... Using his mobile phone, Scott Walker had recorded the teenager getting changed. Sarah Walker did not believe her daughter, as her former partner had said that his phone was broken. During one of her interviews with detectives, Sarah Walker spoke of the conversations she had with Bernadette. Quote, I said she was a liar and that she should go to her grandparents for some breathing space. I told her I loved her three times at the door. She was crying and put her arms around me. Explicitly asked what Bernadette had alleged, Sarah Walker explained. She said for a while now Dad's been doing stuff to me and there was a camera in the bathroom or something and he'd been videoing her and touching her, and it gets worse. Walker was questioned about why she had been using Bernadette's phone and lied about the circumstances of her daughter's disappearance. Sarah Walker said she was scared of her former partner. In the early hours of July 20th, Sarah Walker was travelling with Scott Walker driving to the village of Cubitt asked what exactly she was doing driving around a secluded rural area. Sarah Walker could not provide a comprehensive answer, but made it clear that it was Scott Walker who was using Bernadette's phone, not her. She said she did not know what he was doing. And besides, Walker explained, she was asleep for most of the journey. And when she woke up, they were back at home. Detectives asked if she was covering up a murder. She denied she was.
Scott Walker, the man who was suspected of murdering a teenage girl who saw him as a father figure and referred to him as dad, stood before the court. He was the father to four of Sarah Walker's nine children. Walker was adamant that he did not sexually abuse Bernadette, and he was of the firm belief that she was still alive. He claimed there was an ulterior motive for the organised disappearance. Walker said, I didn't know whether there was a plan behind all of this and why B would be missing, and why these allegations were made. Was this all to get me out of the house? The defendant testified that he felt conflicting emotions about Bernadette vanishing, considering what she was alleging. Part of him appeared glad. Walker said he did not report the disappearance straight away as he wanted to give Bernadette some time. According to the defendant, he did not think for one minute she was in danger. The topic of Walker recording Bernadette was then raised. The teenager had told her mother, but she was accused of lying. Scott Walker was questioned why he had hidden a camera in the bathroom that captured images of a teenage girl taking off her clothes. Walker did not deny the accusation of making the recording, but claimed it was to catch Bernadette out. She had supposedly been hiding, quote, sweet wrappers in a toilet roll. The allegation was put to Walker based on the forensic evidence retrieved from his laptop. He had transferred the images onto his computer. The files had subsequently been deleted, although recovered by experts. The prosecutor then quickly turned to Walker's lack of concern when Bernadette went missing. Officers reported that he appeared more upset that Sarah Walker had found a new partner. This was something the defendant did not refute. When Scott Walker was questioned by police, he continually said no comment to each of the questions posed to him. Walker said he was afraid if he did speak up, his answers could be used against him. But this time, from the stand, Walker chose to address some of the questions he had declined to comment on. They related to why he took a detour on his way home on July 18th, why his phone was switched off during some of the most crucial moments in the case, and why Bernadette's mobile phone appeared to be with both Scott and Sarah Walker a few days after Bernadette was last seen. Walker explained that he took a drive on a road out of his way after collecting Bernadette, as he wanted to see some horses in the fields, and it was more, quote, scenic. He could not tell investigators where precisely he got out of the car, saying, Remembering stuff is difficult. Walker testified that he switched off his phone because his battery was low. It would charge faster in the car if it was turned off. And he clarified, Bernadette's phone was with Sarah Walker, not him. As the hours of testimony passed, 
It looked as though Scott Walker was finding the pressure of being questioned on the stand too much. He apologised, telling the court, Can I request to step down? He did not want to continue providing evidence. The defendant was warned that he would not be able to impart an account of what happened. There would be no other way he could put forward his side of the story. Walker at first said he understood what it meant and did not want to continue. Still after a brief recess in the proceedings, the defendant returned to the witness box, seemingly now able to offer testimony. Unfortunately, the explanation for why there had been a delay reporting Bernadette's disappearance was not made any clearer. Walker had left it to Bernadette's mother to sort out. Scott Walker was unable to offer any details as to Bernadette's last words when she got out of the car. He did, however, insist there was no plot to stop Bernadette from being found. He was asked what exactly he had done in respect of trying to find the missing teenager. The defendant stated, quote, I'm sure I didn't do nothing, but Walker could not provide any examples of what he did. Scott Walker did not have anything more to add. His fate was to be decided by a jury of his peers, who would hear the prosecution and defence in closing before jurors reached a verdict. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In closing arguments, the prosecutor pointed out that Scott Walker's explanation, or lack of one in regards to his whereabouts during the crucial moments of the case, was unbelievable. How could he not remember? Walker had never provided a conclusive answer as to where exactly Bernadette had supposedly got out of the car, and he was going to great lengths to never offer any explanation so he could tailor his story when needed. It was postulated that Bernadette had been murdered, and her body concealed in a lock-up garage that Walker had access to, before he transported the remains to Cubit or somewhere in the countryside where they were buried. Bernadette's rucksack contained a diary that detailed the sexual abuse that she was subjected to, and it was later found in the lock-up garage. Bernadette's social media accounts were used after she was last seen. Passwords were changed, and messages were sent from her phone by both Scott Walker and her mother pretending to be her. Nevertheless, Lisa Wilding QC admitted to jurors that the authorities had been unable to prove when exactly Scott Walker killed Bernadette or where he hid her body, despite a comprehensive search of the local area. There was no forensic evidence that tied him directly to the murder. It was entirely circumstantial. The prosecutor believed, however, that Walker was forensically aware enough to cover his tracks. Scott Walker had switched off his phone to conserve its battery. Still, before switching it off, experts could tell the device was moving east and was not in a stationary position. Leading the prosecution, Lisa Wilding QC told the jury, what happened, the prosecution say, is told to you by the evidence. By the evidence of the phone being switched off and by the cell site evidence. In combination, it can leave you in no doubt Scott Walker deliberately switched off his phone as he drove out to those fields out of Peterborough. Wilding explained if you were a family member to a missing loved one, you would do everything in your power to find out where they were. Scott Walker did nothing other than making several trips to a lock-up garage, occasionally in the presence of Sarah Walker. 
Lisa Wilde in QC addressed the fact that Bernadette's mother had not testified in her own defence. The prosecutor told the jury that Sarah Walker did not offer evidence in court because what Walker would say would make her look more guilty. The prosecutor stated, Sarah Walker is someone who sees the truth as an entirely flexible commodity. She was an easy and willing recruit to the plan hatched by Scott Walker. At the start of her remarks, Lisa Wilding QC had addressed the prospect of the missing teenager hiding from the authorities off the grid. The notion that Bernadette is alive in the face of all the checks made, that she is existing without financial support, without contacting anyone she had met in her 17 years, that she has, in effect, reinvented herself without all the skills of an international spy, the fact that she has done that, is absurd. You heard evidence of sightings, fairly put before you, but there is not a shred of evidence any of those people was Bernadette. If that is right and the prosecution has made you sure she is dead then the next most important question is, have the prosecution made you sure Scott Walker killed her? Not just killed her, murdered her. We suggest it was premeditated. Acting on behalf of Scott Walker, his counsel Elizabeth Marsh QC was adamant that there was no evidence Bernadette Walker was dead. There had been vast searches of Peterborough over open land, concealed areas and waterways, but there was no sign of Bernadette. It was just over a year to the day since she had disappeared. Numerous witnesses had passed the wider area where she had vanished, and they had neither reported an attack nor found a body. The defence said Bernadette was healthy, and fit enough to fight an assailant. She would have been able to shout for help and raise the alarm. Furthermore, Elizabeth Marsh QC asked the jury to question why her client would kill someone who was accusing him of sexual abuse, given the punishment for murder was far more severe. The jury were told that nothing should be inferred from the defendant refusing to answer questions when interviewed by the police. Scott Walker was only following the legal guidance provided by his counsel. The barrister said Bernadette could well have found a job that pays in cash and changed her appearance. She could leave behind her old life and start a new one. Marsh contended that her client did not contact the authorities straight away after Bernadette ran off. He wanted to give her some time to calm down following the allegations, which Walker still insisted were not true. The family apparently did not want to see social services get involved. Elizabeth Marsh QC recognised that Scott Walker sent one text message from Bernadette's mobile phone, but claimed he was only following instructions from Sarah Walker. Alistair Williamson, QC representing Sarah Walker, 
said all the jury had to do was look at the evidence. This proved that Bernadette was not dead. And why would Sarah help her former partner if he admitted that he killed Bernadette? It would be more likely she would call the police straight away. Williamson acknowledged that his client had admitted to providing false information to police. And that was something she would have to live with. Quote, Sarah Walker is silent. She chooses not to give evidence. For many, there is nothing she could say that would not become a sideshow. I do not deny that lies have come from her mouth. They have left her broken. The judge summarised the case and fairly described the arguments, pointing out that although Scott Walker became emotional when testifying, almost refusing to continue, Mrs Justice McGowan acknowledged that offering evidence was a difficult experience, considering a defendant has to speak when being observed by a group of strangers. Moreover, she said that the burden of proof was on the prosecution. Scott Walker was exercising his right to silence when interviewed by police. Sarah Walker chose not to testify and the judge pointed out that was her right. Nonetheless, there were numerous questions that could not be answered by either defendant. What exactly did they say when Scott Walker turned on his phone after it had been switched off for those lost 90 minutes? The judge also pointed out that Bernadette Walker was someone who used social media frequently, though there was not a single trace of her online since she disappeared. She had no money, no passport, no bank cards, nothing. Was it really possible she had started a new life somewhere off the grid? Looking to assist the jury when making their verdicts, the judge provided them with a document titled Roots to Verdict. The jurors could use this document when analysing the evidence presented to them. It was a flowchart that, if followed, could help them all reach a decision on each of the charges. Are we sure Scott Walker unlawfully and intentionally killed Bernadette Walker? was the first question in writing. If the answer was yes, then they would move to the next question. If no, then a not guilty verdict should be reached. Question two read, Are we sure that at the time he killed Bernadette, he at least intended to cause really serious harm? If this was also yes, then jurors should reach a guilty verdict. But if the answer to either question was no, they should conclude the defendant is not guilty. A similar piece of guidance was provided for the charges relating to perverting the course of justice for both defendants. The jurors were told to work together when forming a decision to ensure that they each had their voice heard. The judge said at that stage she only wanted unanimous verdicts, and the 12 jurors had as long as they needed to make their decision. 
the jury followed the judge's instructions to the letter. It almost brought to an end the six-week trial when jurors reached a unanimous decision just after midday on July 26, 2021. Sobs came from the public gallery, and the voice of Sarah Walker shouted loudly, No, no, she's not dead. Scott Walker was told he had been found guilty of two counts of perverting the course of justice. He was found guilty of a charge of murder. The jury were instructed that they did not need to give verdicts on the remaining charges of perverting the course of justice, as these were deemed alternative counts. However, the jury could not reach a unanimous verdict on either of the charges that Sarah Walker faced. The jury were told by the judge that she would accept a majority verdict. The decision came four hours later. At least ten members of the jury believed that Sarah Walker had misdirected the investigation when she lied to the police. As the crimes Sarah Walker was found guilty of were more severe than the two charges of perverting the course of justice she confessed to, Mrs Justice McGowan explained that sentences for both defendants would be handed down in a month and a half. She wanted to complete a detailed review of the now-convicted criminal's circumstances. Due to the nature of the crimes and length of the trial, The judge told the jury that if they were called for jury duty again in the next 10 years, they could excuse themselves. In the wake of the trial, A correspondent for BBC News interviewed Bernadette's older brother. He had planned to take his sister on a surprise trip to America. Visiting the other side of the Atlantic was something they had spoken about often. Anthony Walker described how following Bernadette's disappearance, there was, quote, an empty part in our lives which is not there. He desperately wanted to believe that his sister was still alive, despite the evidence. Bernadette's brother said that his sister, who he called a bubbly and fun person, did not deserve to have her body concealed, undiscovered without a proper burial. A member of the Bedfordshire, Cambridgeshire and Hertfordshire Major Crime Unit, Detective Inspector Justine Jenkins, was heavily involved in the case and took over as the senior investigating officer following the retirement of Detective Chief Inspector Jerry Waite, admitted that there was one big piece of the puzzle missing. 
D.I. Jenkins was not certain that future efforts would uncover any remains, but the authorities would continue searching, hoping that Bernadette would one day be found. The detective referred to the actions taken by Sarah and Scott Walker as a very long line of lies and deceit which grew by the day. I'm delighted that Scott's been found guilty. Um, the evidence was strong against him and I'm just pleased that the jury were able to understand it all and make the right decision. We still don't know where Bernadette is. Um, I'd ask anyone that does have any information to still come forward. We would still like to give her the proper burial that she deserves. Sarah Walker's mother was interviewed at her home in Norfolk by a reporter from the Sun newspaper. She spoke of her contradictory feelings now that Sarah Walker's former partner was convicted of Bernadette's murder. Pat Dickinson said, I feel like I have two angels on each shoulder, one saying Bernadette's out there waiting to be found, and the other saying she's not. She's not the type of girl to run away. Deep down, we know she's not alive. But we just want to know where she is to bring her home. He is the only person who knows where she is. One year and three days after Scott Walker published a Facebook post addressed to Bernadette, which included the words, We are both worried. We miss you. We need to know that you're safe. He was being sentenced for her murder. It was concluded that Scott Walker likely strangled Bernadette, then contacted Sarah Walker with the two colluding to cover up the crime. Scott Walker refused to admit what he did with Bernadette's body. Investigators had visited him in prison, although he said he did not wish to speak to them. Through his solicitor, Walker had passed them a short note in which he described the situation as still too raw. Mrs Justice McGowan felt that by not cooperating... Walker did not show Bernadette the respect she deserved. The judge said, Cruelest of all, it's likely to mean some members of her family and friends will go on hoping she might be alive and might someday come back into their lives. The lack of proper burial was seen as the most aggravating feature in the case when it came to Scott Walker's sentencing. The judge believed that each defendant was a willing party in the event, but it was Sarah Walker who was the guiding mind behind the detail of the plan. It took a, quote, level of selfishness and self-interest that is quite unbelievable. Before Scott and Sarah Walker were handed their sentences, Witnesses in Cambridge Crown Court heard victim personal statements from Bernadette's friends who wrote about how incredibly talented Bernadette was and how her death had affected their mental health. 
Lucas Siorcian, who testified at the trial and had briefly dated Bernadette, said, I feel so empty. I miss her a lot. She was fun and helpful, always helping other people. She always came up with some amazing work. She was truly a wonderful person. Another of Bernadette's friends who she had met online, Warren Naylor, grew closer to Bernadette in the months leading up to her death. They spoke every day, but now she was gone. B was my best friend and she has been taken away from me, Naylor said. I have felt down and depressed since then. I felt that I didn't do enough to help her. My parents should have helped her and protected her. There has been no closure. After reviewing the aggravating and mitigating factors, Mrs Justice McGowan handed down each sentence. For his crime, Scott Walker was told he would have to serve a total of 32 years before he could be considered for parole. His defence counsel would later voice their concern that it was likely Walker would never see the outside world before he died. Bernadette's mother, Sarah Walker, was sentenced to six years after being found guilty of two counts of perverting the course of justice. Neither Scott Walker nor Sarah Walker said a word as they were led away to their cells. As further information about the Walker family history came to light, several media outlets came to learn of Scott Walker's previous criminal history. He had been convicted of harassment in 2002. A police caution followed six years later, and four years after that he was arrested for assaulting a minor. It seemed Walker's targets were always those younger, smaller and physically weaker than him. During the trial, jurors were informed that Scott Walker allegedly raped his former partner. This was something she had told detectives. The BBC spoke with Anthony Walker, who recalled life in the family home, and how on one occasion he witnessed his mother being attacked. Scott Walker held a knife to her throat. Whenever the authorities were called and interviewed family members about reports of domestic abuse, Walker would always be within earshot, and the children were too afraid of saying anything as they knew what would happen if they did. Cambridgeshire Police did confirm that a report had been filed during May 2020 that alleged one of the Walker family members had been raped, although after the victim was interviewed the case did not go any further. Public record does not indicate who this person was. Bernadette's brother Anthony Walker would describe his early years of adulthood and the abuse he was subjected to by the man that would later murder his sister. 
Scott Walker both physically and emotionally abused Sarah Walker's children. Anthony Walker told a reporter for the BBC, he used to only go for the younger ones because they couldn't open up about it properly. He used to hit them and do all sorts. It was crazy. He'd try and emotionally abuse us, and I hate to say this because it makes me seem weak, but it did work on me a lot of the time. We were working as hard as we could to get him out of the house, but he was very persistent on staying and wouldn't leave. Anthony did not believe that Scott Walker should ever be released. The Daily Mail managed to contact Scott Walker's estranged wife. She recounted how she had fled the marriage due to the abuse she suffered. Known only as Jill, she was both sexually attacked and emotionally tormented, being alienated from her friends along with threats being made against her life. Scott Walker presented one face to the world and another to the people he abused. He set himself apart, presenting a charming persona at first, polite, sincere, but as time wore on he became possessive, controlling and threatening. Walker would ask Jill intimate details about what she had done with her ex-partners. Then he would become irrationally jealous, demanding sexual intercourse daily, even if his wife was ill or upset. It never stopped. When they were living at a property on Milnthorpe Lane in Wakefield, Sarah Walker moved in next door. Scott Walker started flirting with his neighbour, who was then pregnant with her fifth child. No one is entirely sure when their relationship began. Jill managed to flee the home when the council had agreed to refurbish the property. She escaped through a refuge scheme, burning any pictures she had of her husband and filed a non-molestation order in the process. Scott Walker's online life was so very different from the one he was living. He was out of work, but online labelled himself the Telegraph Tipster, writing how he was making his fortune gambling on horses. He also supposedly had an American degree in Associate of Arts and Sciences. Walker would often comment on Bernadette's social media posts. The replies highlighted a jealous or disturbing side. In one comment when Bernadette posted about a new love interest, he wrote, Any boy who kisses you better have the image of me in their head. Some posts by Scott Walker on social media pictured naked men bound with belts. A divorce had still not been finalised at the time of Scott Walker's arrest, 
Sarah Walker had apparently reached out years earlier asking Walker's wife, Jill, if there was any possibility that her husband could hurt children. Jill told Sarah Walker to get away and wrote about some of the abuse she suffered. But this advice fell on deaf ears. Jill spoke to reporter Barbara Davis and voiced her feelings of regret for not doing more. Maybe I could have saved Bernadette, she said. Adding, knowing he has murdered Bernadette has shaken my world to the core. How can you process the fact that somebody you are legally married to has killed a child? So where are we now? Following Scott and Sarah Walker's conviction, the senior investigating officer on the case offered a public appeal, asking anyone with further information to please come forward. Detective Inspector Justine Jenkins said, My plea to anyone who may have been subjected to abuse is to speak to us. Scott Walker's first parole hearing is in 2053. Then he will be in his early 80s, if he lives that long. As of the time of this recording, Walker has shown no interest in speaking to the police about the whereabouts of Bernadette's remains. It is hoped that one day he will change his mind and not take the secret with him to his grave giving Bernadette the dignity he did not show her in life and offering her family the closure they so rightly deserve. you or someone you know has been affected by the topics raised in this episode and wish to seek support, you can contact the NSPCC helpline in the UK on 0808 800 5000 or visit their website nspcc.org.uk. for listening and a special thanks to our Patreon supporters for more information on this episode please see the show notes or visit our website theywalkamonguspodcast.com
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.